And welcome, henchmen, back to another action-packed episode of the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, where I, JBD, attempt to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artist in Shang-Chi and Iron Fist. If you want to keep up with everything on the podcast, you can follow the podcast over on Twitter at Deadly Kung Fu Pod. If you want to keep up with myself, me, JBD, you can follow me over at Villains of Man, where you can keep up with all of the Villains of Man's podcast. Now, today here in the episode... We're still continuing going into the world of Shang-Chi's Master of Kung Fu series. And we've got a huge block here of Shang-Chi books before we catch up to anything Iron Fist. Because I've got to line things up before these guys make their first cross over here in the near future. So um, if you're once Iron Fist, bear with me. You've got about one or two more episodes of Shang-Chi. And then we're finally going to dive into some Iron Fist stuff for maybe two, three episodes. So without further ado, this is a three-part story uh, titled Wicked Messengers of Madness for issue 33. In issue 34, we're talking about the cyclone at the center of a bad man's crown. And with issue 35, Death Hand and the Son of Mordillo. The creative team for this is, as always, Gil Kane on covers with Joe Sinat, writer, as always, Doug Monet. Uh, pencils by Paul Galassi, inks by Dan Atkins, colors by Janice Cohen and George Russos, letters by John Costanda and Joe Rosen, and editor is obviously Lynn Wayne and Mark Wolfman, two legendary men in comic books history. So, uh, as always, I'm going to break down the issues and let you know what's going on in all three of these before I take a break and then dive into some notes and what I thought about the book overall. So first, issue 33, Wicked Messenger of Madness. Shang-Chi, Agent Dennis Smith, and Black Jartar arrive in London from their voyage to find Clive resting, waiting for them after the safety of returning Dr. Petrie to headquarters. You could check all this out within the last episode. As he steps out of the car, Shang-Chi notices a man who turns out to be a mechanical assassin who opens fire on the Agent Reston and calls him by name. Impervious to the master of martial arts attacks. Smith and Blackjack tar open fire on it as Shang-Chi uses its mechanical machine gun eyes on the robot, bending its head so it fires into its torso. Based on the robot, Blackjack tar questions if the assassin Mordillo had sent it. This confusing Reston as to why he would be the target considering he was just on the Velcro Carlton case. You can check that out on the episode before the last one. It's then decided that Black Jack Tar and Agent Sir Dennis Nayland Smith will take the robot and gather the fired bullets to headquarters while Clive takes Shang-Chi to his new flat. Shang is taken back by the luxury of his apartment, but quickly hears someone within. Rushing to the bathroom, him and Clive rest and find Agent Lego bathing while waiting for the two. As she and our hero begin introductions, and Shang-Chi picks up that the two agents used to be lovers at one time, The phone rings as Smith calls with important news. Back at headquarters, Dennis Smith and Black Jack Tar had pulled the bullets from the wall that the robot assassin had fired. One has the words of My Fair Lady inscribed at the base. A previous incident when Mordillo had recently killed three agents had the three bullets inscribed with three blind mice. See how they run, the clock strike one, with all of their eyes removed from the agents' heads. They were all killed under the clock of Big Ben at 1 a.m. As the agents all question how does this relate to the case, Dr. Petrie is working. 
At the doctor's insistence, Smith reveals that their scientists are working on a weapon based on how Freon and the plastic emissions during processing for both items are eroding the ozone of the atmosphere with a project they're calling Project Ultraviolet. With the chemicals, they will fire into the areas over enemy bases, destroying the atmosphere there, so radiation and the heat of direct sunlight will destroy them. Agent Putnam was sent to protect a leak and was met with Agent Brentor yesterday at Tower Bridge with important information. Putnam was found dead by the police, and the bullet that had killed him was coded unlike the others. Smith is unsure if Brentor received the information because he's disappeared, leaving Smith to believe that Mordillo is after Project Ultraviolet. This upsets Lico because Brentor is her lover. Cutting off the conversation, an agent comes with word that the bullet has been decoded with the letters representing musical notes. It says, London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down, making Smith believe Mordillo is going to blow up Tower Bridge. This also leads Reston to believe Lico is next because she is Brenter's My Fair Lady based on the bullet that was fired at him earlier. This is when all the agents realize she has disappeared during the briefing. Furious, Clive Reston goes to find her against Smith's orders as Black Jack Tar and Shang Chi rush to the bridge. Shang, Smith, and Black arrive to find Mordillo's men planting bombs. Shang Chi quickly takes them out, grabbing the explosive and throwing it into the river seconds before it explodes. As they fan out to search for clues to why Mordillo wanted the bridge destroyed, Clive Reston arrives with a note from Lico's flat, signed by Brentor, to meet her at their usual spot. This angers him that the agent has put her in danger, which leads to an argument between Loreston and Black Jack Tar over his jealousy that Lico doesn't love him anymore. This is when Smith reveals to keep the information hidden from for Project Ultraviolet. They had Lico memorize it, then hypnotize her to forget it, so it would be kept trapped in her subconscious. The only person who knows the code word to unlock Lico's mind was Agent Putnam, who Mordillo killed the day before. In that moment, one of his men finds a note in the bridge where Putin was shot. It states that Brent Tor is Mordillo with the location of his base listed. Clive Reston realizes that the My Fair Lady bullet was a clue about Lico unknowingly being in love with Mordillo and that killing Reston himself would stop the only person who would do anything to save her. At the end, we see Mordillo flying Lico to his hidden island in the South China Sea because she refused to give him information about Project Ultraviolet. Let's move on to issue 34 titled Cyclone at the Center of a Madman's Crown. Just so you know, there is no cyclone here and there is no crown involved. But anyways, Clive Reston and Shang-Chi fly to Mordillo's hidden island to find the oddest of buildings, a giant shoe, a pyramid, a medieval castle on top of a mountain, a large dome, and many others that defy modern architecture. With no clear landing area given their speed, Clive is forced to crash land into some trees. Trekking through the jungle, Clive and Shang-Chi discover railroad tracks. Soon, a talking choo-choo train arrives with an invitation for the two by Mordillo. Seeing no other option, they board. It's crazy, right? Anyways, meanwhile, Mordillo and Lico head to the castle where he attempts to show kindness to his now former lover. Once free, Liko lays a beat down on him until she is lassoed by the robot boy, Bernaki. After their arrival, we found out Mordillo hates Shang-Chi for unintentionally killing Velcro Carlton, see episode 19, I've mentioned this earlier, which was confirmed by the assassin, Pavane, who was on the island. 
had questions about her, so we know that now she's alive. With Liko continuing to plead she had no clue about Ultraviolet, Bordillo tells her about the hypnotism. She tries to use their love to convince him to stop, but he claims it was all set up to gain information on the weapon. To prove to Liko he will get her information at any cost, Mordillo reveals the solar chute he has created based on what knowledge he has on Project Ultraviolet. Back on the train, the AI Choo Choo stops at the large shoe where the toy soldiers inside attack Clivaris and Shang-Chi. After the train makes a joke about betting on the large toys, it speeds away up the winding tracks to go around the mount to Dillo's castle with both heroes in tow. The two try to slow and stop the train from derailing before the train can kill them. Failing to do so, both Clive and Shang-Chi leap from the train in the nick of time to catch the drawbridge of the castle as a train continues to crack jokes as it flies off the top of the mountain to its doom. Within the walls, the two heroes find themselves surrounded and confronted by children tales turned into traps as a mime guides them into a movie theater. Inside, they meet Bernaki, who offers them a seat, which they foolishly accept. Falling for the trap, the curtain rises to reveal Liko trapped in an hourglass with sand falling on top of her. Mordillo arrives with a mechanical gauntlet on, stating that if Liko won't tell him what she knows about Project Ultraviolet, he will torture them both with fire from the gauntlet to make her talk. It's getting interesting. Let's move on to issue 35, Death Hand and the Son of Mordillo. Son, as in like, morning son, least are not, you know, your children. Shang-Chi and Clive Reston find themselves at the mercy of Mordillo, while sand of the hourglass fills up to Liko's head. Suddenly, a robot like the one that attacked Reston walks on stage and opens fires on Mordillo. Thinking his creation had gone berserk, he flies to the upper levels of the castle. Shang-Chi uses the lucky break to finally break free and set Liko free. To his and Reston's surprise, Black Jack Tar arrived and put on the robot's armor plating to attack Mordillo once he seen they were trapped. Not being able to locate the villain, this continues Reston, as does the fact that now he sees Shang-Chi save his former lover, who is very thankful to the hero. Liko pushes the fact that they need to find Mordillo and destroy the solar chute because it's functional regardless of what information is locked in her mind. Meanwhile, Mordillo commands Bernaki to prepare transport to the Doom Dome, as he calls it, and orders Pavane, who is still alive, as I said, which is pretty interesting, I was worried about that, stop Shang-Chi. This leads to a lover spat between them over Liko, who Mordillo has faked being in love with. After swearing he never touched her, yes, they did not bump uglies, but I guess that had to somewhat prove that he loved her. This angers Padme, it's, and it's a fact enough for her and her Black Panther to kill the woman and the agents. She goes off to chase them down. As Mordillo powers up the solar chute, Shang-Chi finds him as he's told the others to flee to Tar's ship while he deals with the villain. Despite Clive Reston complaining, Black Jack Tar talks him into trusting Shang-Chi and lets him go alone. Shang-Chi arrives at the solar chute while it powers up. He attempts to talk Mordillo out of using it, but he will have none of it, stating Dennis Smith is just as bad as those he works for, and will use it just as they would. With a push of the button, Bernaki fires up the ship, interrupting the argument and almost knocking Shang-Chi from its platform. As Mordillo releases the Freon chemical to the atmosphere above the island, Shang-Chi gives him one more chance to stop. Mordillo refuses and activates the radiation heat beam. Back at the island, the three agents fight Pavane while Shang-Chi and Mordillo battle atop the solar chute. 
Their movement rocks the flying vessel, sending the beam firing uncontrollably on the island and setting it ablaze. Noticing they will all die if they keep fighting, Reston talks Pavane and her men into stopping and fleeing with them to the ship. As everything he created burns around him, Mordillo finally decides to stop and change his ways. Believing him, Shang-Chi stops attacking only to be fooled as Mordillo throws himself overboard to be burned alive in the heat beam. Unsure of how to stop the solar chute, Shang-Chi destroys the controls to crash it into the ocean as Mordillo's island becomes a burning hill. On Black Jack Tar's ship, Liko embraces Shang-Chi, an act he wishes to refuse but he finds he cannot help himself and takes in. The act between the two fuels Reston's jealousy even more. As the book closes, we see Branaki looking upset, holding Mordillo's skeleton, promising he won't leave him and will fix him as the island burns around them. Pretty uh, odd book for Shang-Chi as it continues the James Bond type approach to thing. We got a very strange character unlike anything else we have seen in Shang-Chi so far. But overall, I wasn't big on this book. And when we return, I kind of break down why I am and we'll discuss the new characters in this three-part story for Master of Kung Fu issues 33 through 35. And welcome back to Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, brought to you by the Village Man and myself, JBD. So uh, let's dive into these three books. As usual, um, I like to dive into the new characters first and discuss them, but uh, there's some things I learned from this arc because I am from the United States. I do not live over in the UK. First, uh, apparently a UK apartment's called a flat. I did not know that. Not sure if this is still true, but... uh, from hearing it in movies and novels, uh, I should have kept picked up on this sooner. I, I was kind of goofy, felt kind of stupid about that. And uh, second, also because I'm a stupid American, I did uh, not realize that uh, it's actually Tower Bridge. I've always thought it was London Bridge. So uh, I guess maybe I should brush up on my history there. So um, there's also uh, something really important I wanted to start off here with is uh, I noticed within the last arc and the one shot before the story we're noticing Shang-Chi is talking less and less and I don't know if that's because he's been slowly becoming divided on how um rested in them do things and how he seeks a path to pacifism um if you'll go back to episode 19 there's a huge debate between them well not really a debate but there's a discussion compared to um while they're going after uh, Carlton Velcro, or Velcro, Carlton, excuse me, and why he needs Shang-Chi for the mission. Um, and it's pretty interesting. I don't want to spoil a lot. So if you're a new listener and you're jumping in, go back to 19 and listen to it and 20 before you listen to it because it'll make a lot more sense. So let's talk about Liko. Um, as soon as we see her, she's drawn very provocatively, very sultry as she's getting out of the bathtub, soaking wet, and they obviously both see her naked, which is nothing new to Reston, but I'm I'm kind of wondering if it's new to Shang-Chi. Um, he is, that we know of, we, we he's had never had a girlfriend. He's, he's never bumped uglies, and, you know, I'm assuming that he's kind of shocked that he actually sees a naked woman for the first time. But, um, and she's got him hooked. Uh, he can't take his eyes off of her. And, uh, that, that hook reminds me of Sandy. Uh, see, Master of Kung Fu, 
I think it's Giant Size 2, uh, flip it through. Episode 13, um, The Devil Doctor's Triumph. Excellent, excellent story. Um, read that issue for Giant Size. It's probably one of the best Strong Tree stories so far that I've read. And read it and go listen to the episode. You will not be disappointed. It's very dark. But um, this hook continues like... Shang-Chi's a very focused person, and when Smith's giving the briefing over Mordillo and the bullets and the robot, he is very caught off guard by her perfume, and he's, like, not even really paying attention to what's going on. So, um, he's really taking an interest in her, much like he has Sandy. And, um, also, it's no surprise she's a badass fighter. And once we see that Shang-Chi gets to see this, he's really gonna be hooked. Because that's his thing. He likes chicks that kick ass, just like Sandy. So, um, the next new character, uh, is Mordillo. Uh, he's an assassin for hire who apparently used to work for MI6. But, uh, once they never really increased his payments, uh, for assignments, he started working for their enemies. Uh, which is kind of a James Bond type thing, I would imagine, when you're talking espionage. Uh, we see that all the time with S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA in the comics. Um, Smith claims no one has ever seen him, which makes so much sense to why you, which I should say, makes no sense to why you should hire him. Why would you hire somebody you don't know? Um, but once we realize that he's actually, um, Brentor, that makes a lot of sense why they would never know who he is. But, um, he's described as having a macabre and eccentric sense of humor and has a fondness of gadgets. We see this with the rhymes and the bullets and Brynaki, the boy robot, and AI choo-choo that's kind of like a very happy Thomas the Train type thing. Um, and when Shang-Chi and the agents are discussing Mordillo, we learn something that I found very interesting about the character. Um, he says, and this is with, um, this is actually, before I say this, the word bubbles here are messed up. It looks like it's Smith that says this, but it's actually Reston. And Clive Reston says uh, his father, and we know this is to be James Bond, which we've established just a couple episodes ago, and I've actually looked into it. Uh, he actually battled Mordillo. And, um, like I said, when you read this, the th- the dialogue bubbles open up to more what Smith says instead of Reston, and it can be very confusing, but it has to be Smith based on his past. But um, I'm very curious to uh, see how that played out. It's bad that Marvel never got the rights to James Bond, or maybe you don't have to have the rights to do kind of like a flashback, because if you see a guy... And with nice cut hair and a black and white, you know, tux, you know it's James Bond. So that would have been really cool. And you could have just shadowed out Mordillo as they were battling or whatever. That would have been really cool. So as for Mordillo, he's very Riddler meets Mad Hatter uh, with the clues and the whimsical stuff. Like the wording on the bullets, the song coded on the bullets, the AI choo-choo train that's like a very comical, psychopathic Thomas the Train uh Brynaki, the Roy, boy robot, and uh, both those characters predate him 30 years, so he's almost clearly like a knockoff of them. Uh, the Choo Choo Train, he doesn't have an A, but he's kind of hilarious, because uh, he's always back-talking Shang-Chi and Clive Reston, and name-calling them. Um, when Clive Reston tries to pull his throttle when they first get on him to turn him on, he tells him to be careful with the throttle, you lummox. Um, and my first thought is like, oh, he's like grabbing him by the junk, and obviously this train doesn't like that. Um, he also calls him a bunch of freeloaders because they do not pay to ride, even though he was sent for them. He calls them a bunch of freeloaders. Uh, when he decides to kill them, 
instead of letting him off of the castle, he speeds up. He's laughing just like, tee hee 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 hee. And uh, before he flies off the rails, it's kind of funny. And then um, the suicide of the train is a bit unexpected. You don't think about that because you only see the castle at the top of the mountain in like any of these books in the very beginning. So you don't really, it's kind of unexpected. Let's move on to Brian Aki. So he is this highly advanced AI in the body of a robot boy. It's really distracting to the story and it's uh, a bit annoying. But if you've listened to episode 18 and won't listen to me complain about Rufus T. Hackstabber, uh, it's not that bad. Uh, every scene he's in, there's this different personality displayed, complete with accent and costume. And um, I'd seen some stuff online where they said that he actually transforms into it, but he actually mentions changing costume. And actually, he, he has to do it very quickly. And it's very odd that this assassin would has a robot boy that would take the time to change costumes based on what's going on like i said it's very distracting uh first when we meet him when he's lassoing Liko, he he's dressed like a cowboy and he's saying podna and yeehaw uh next one mordillo is viewing videos from velcro's island uh he's a director then when dinner is served he's a french chef and then at the end of 34 he's a theater usher when they trap shang chi and cobreston and then he's a knight, he's a train conductor, and then he's a sci-fi cosmonaut. Uh, but at the end, you kind of feel bad for him because he's very loyal to Mordillo, despite being a robot. They seem like they were very, very close friends. And he even, uh, at one point, Mordillo even considers them to be like best friends. He even mentions it. So and uh, the thing is, based on his uh, attitude and how he is, I can't see him coming back for revenge, and I don't even... I don't want to say I don't know how he escapes, because obviously we know villains can escape. But, I mean, you can't see something like this coming back for revenge. It's just a boy robot, and we know that Reston's completely dead. He's nothing but a skeleton with Brynaki's, um, you know, holding him. So there's no way in the world he's coming back. Pavane, I was shocked to see her come back so soon. We've seen her back and issue, let's see, 33, 32, 31? Uh, during the Crystal Connection, so she's already returned. Um, that was all in episode 19, if you want to check that out with Velcro's Island. And I'm curious to see what happens now that she's left with the heroes. Uh, she's clearly not as insane as Mordillo, even though they were lovers, because he committed suicide when he realized it was over and she was smart enough to flee. So, um, so maybe she's not tied up with these people. He's mentioned that he works for. Maybe she's like Bullseye and she's this assassin for hire. Um, and more importantly is how did she escape between this story and the end of episode 19? Uh, Tar did mention they picked her up, which was weird. Um, because they were leaving the island due to the explosion. And uh, what happened to the rest of Velcro's men uh, on the island? Like, did they just set her free? Did she escape? I mean, obviously, she's an enemy, so why would they just let her go if they picked her up? So there's some explaining there that needs to be done that's just kind of left to out in the open. And it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, we get this weapon called Death's Hand, which Mordillo wears. It's a functioning key for one for the Solar Shoot, which is a knockoff of Project Ultraviolet. And uh, it has a multitude of projectiles. We see that one finger has a flamethrower, one high, you know has a laser... It has compression darts that are obviously strong enough to knock a softball size hole in a chair, which is shot at Clive Reston when he's uh, tied up in the theater. 
seems a bit impossible. It's a very Doctor Doom type weapon to have all these little gadgets in its hands. It kind of looks like a gauntlet Doctor Doom would even wear. So the uh, last big thing for the book, we have the solar chute, which is an aircraft. It's stupid dangerous. And uh, at the time that this book was written, it fits with the depletion of the ozone layer being a hot topic in real life, which it still really is. Um, and I'm not sure Freon chemical part is necessary for uh, this whole story. Because harnessing the radiation and the heat of the sun is just badass enough for a weapon. And also you figured if you're going to fly on this thing, release the chemicals. For one, they should be harmful to you, the driver of this vehicle, because it's just a platform. And then you should be affected by the heat coming out of, excuse me, the whole of the ozone layer, right? So in a sense, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's kind of ridiculous. But the beam is meant for targeting buildings, which Mordo's... Uh, lacks the tech which makes it far more dangerous because it's just covering areas instead of just directly attacking buildings like Sir Dennis Nayland Smith had mentioned that it'll do. Um, I think this weapon would have been set up better if we'd heard about it in past issues and I know this is just hindsight being 2020 but apparently this is a big deal this whole weapon is and uh, especially seeing how this all ties up to the crystal connection with Velcro and Mordillo trying to assassinate him because what I'm taking this, it's there's somebody out there that wants to stop his nuclear weapon arsenal and they don't want it to be used against this solar shoot or Project Ultramite. So there's almost like a weapons of mass destruction arm race going on between all of MI-16's enemies. So uh, I'm hoping this is a pattern we're going to see in the future is like, since we're taking this James Bond approach, is for Shang-Chi and Smith and Blackjack Tar and Clive Reston to stop... T- you know, these weapons of mass destruction, and we get more interesting weapons like the solar shoot thing. So, uh, some interesting notes about the book. Uh, in issue 34, Clive, Rustin, and Shang-Chi arrive at Mordillo's castle, and they're greeted by a Fu Manchu jack-in-the-box. And uh, it says, Greetings, my son. It's been a long time since we last... And then Rustin shoots it and let, doesn't let it finish its sentence. So this makes me wonder if Mordillo has worked for Fu Manchu in the past. And uh, this is interesting because we know that he was he went undercover as an MI6 agent to get at them, to steal information about this Project Ultraviolet. So if he was working for them, and we realize that it's not a super long time, but this could explain why Fu Manchu has easily foiled Smith and all of his plans against him to stop him. It's because maybe Fu Manchu has this guy on the inside Mordillo, this assassin that is Rentor, that is actually split apart Linko and Clive Rustin. So he's actually in there doing damage and feeding information to Fu Manchu. I thought that was really interesting. So um, that's a really interesting take there for the story. And it makes a lot of sense. I could see Fu Manchu actually getting an inside man in on Clive Rustin. Especially based on the history of Shang-Chi when he first met Smith back in uh, Special Marvel Edition number 15. Uh, the big thing for this book is, are we going to see Shang-Chi and Clive Reston come to blows down the road? Um, we know that Clive Reston holds a big spot in his heart for Liko. He's still obviously in love with her. He was very jealous of Rentor, who she chose over him. And now it seems that there's going to be this love connection between her and Shang-Chi. And we see this throughout the book, him getting jealous every time, every time he sees him. Every time they meet, there's a jealousy there, and I think he would make an excellent, you know, heel turn. 
make a good villain, and maybe he'll side for Fu Manchu. Very interesting. Very, that's the best thing about this book, and it's the one thing I can't wait to see going forward. There are some uh, WTF moments in this book that are pretty obvious. Um, first is the Lico. Okay, so issue 33, she has black hair. Issue 34, she is full-blown brunette the entire book. And then in the span of this kidnapping, when we see her in issue 35, she's back to being having black hair. So I'm wondering if she's a mutant, and this is her weird mutant power. I'm able to change my hair color based on my emotions. So because she was happy in the first book, she gets kidnapped, she's terrified, she's scared, her hair turns brown. When she's saved, her hair's back to being black because she knows she's safe. So maybe it's just her weird mutant power. Um, I think this is funny because Mordillo on his island actually uses the intercom and calls all of his henchmen thugs. He does not call them men or soldiers. He calls them straight up thugs. And I thought that was hilarious. It made me laugh out loud. Um, so somewhere between escaping the castle and going after Mordillo, Shang-Chi finally decides to put on his headband. He did not have his headband on. During the entire trip to Mordillo's island, during the trip to the castle, it was after he took off the castle and things were about to get serious with Mordillo, he decides to put on his headband. We don't ever see it. He just has it on at the end of the book during the fight. Uh, and here's the, here's the big one. Um, during the fight, we have Clive Reston, we have Black Jack Tar, and we have Lico squaring off against Pavane and Mordillo's thugs. Um, now, during the fight, one panel is their fight, the next panel is Shang-Chi and Mordillo's fight, and it goes back and forth, back and forth. And so there is a panel where Black Jack Tar is holding a thug over his head. Well, they've been dressed in green and brown this entire time, except for this one he has red on. The panels before him are Shang-Chi and Mordillo battling, so actually in the middle of their fight, that panel with Black Jack Tar almost looks like he is about to throw Shang-Chi over his head. It's very weird, very off-putting. Yeah, there's a lot of mess-ups in this book, and uh, there has not been a mess-up since we met the daughter of Fu Manchu. So, uh, and I thought, I was like, man, all for one, there's a continuing issue in all three books with hair, and then there's some mess-ups uh, here at the end during the fight. So, I was very surprised by this. But overall, I wasn't big on this story. It's the first big story I've really been down on. For all the Shang-Chi stuff. So I was kind of very disappointed. But I'm very curious to see where it picks up next. But uh, that's been it for this episode of Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu. You can check me out over on Twitter at Deadly Kung Fu Pod. You want to check out myself, JVD, and check me out. Talk to me on Twitter. Check me out over at Builds Man. If you like our music, check out Rushing Tiger by Kuro over on SoundCloud. If you like this podcast, you can follow The Villains Man on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, which I'm really kind of fading out of Instagram. It's just kind of not useful for podcasting. It's uh, If you're not a hot chick or someone famous, uh, no one cares about your stuff. But anyways, you can find us on social media. Remember, guys, in the end, support your favorite podcast. Support your local comic book shops and keep reading comics, guys. Oh!